in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. Rory McIlroy hit his dad with a shot yesterday, which is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. His dad was one of like five people standing right off the fairway, and Rory McIlroy managed to hit him what looked like in the back of the leg. Um, If you're a dad, are you allowed to be mad at your son who's on the PGA Tour playing in the Masters if he hits you with a shot? Depends on how much my son has uh, shared the career earnings. Uh, and there's been a lot of it for Rory. So, yeah, I mean, he had fun with it. He said, you know, someone says, or his dad said, maybe I'll have him sign the ball. And Rory said, maybe I'll sign a bag of frozen peas for him as he, you know, puts it on the, on his leg. So, I mean, you know, he could never do it again as, you know, even one of the best golfers, although he didn't play like this, he could never do it again if he tried. So it's a cool story. They just, they got taken to the, the, the shed on uh, at the Masters yesterday, man. There's some great golfers who just looked really, really bad. And um, we'll see what happens on the weekend. But you look at past the cut line right now, there's some huge names. There's some a lot of, you know, uh, major winners in there. And they just, that course just ate those guys up yesterday. Yeah, Justin Rose is actually one over today, but he's six under total. Yeah, but he's still three up. Still has a three-stroke lead. <laughs> yeah. um, there are what? We have 12 golfers that are under par at the moment. Yeah. Like, it, I, I am all, I always find it funny when, whenever whatever tournament, but especially majors, when it's like, yeah, the course is playing tough, and literally none of the professional golfers, the best golfers in the world, can shoot under par yeah. because for Absolutely. some reason the course is playing too tough. Yeah. That's a great, great question. Oh, umpire sent multiple Trevor Bauer baseballs off for inspection. Ken Rosenthal reported yesterday that the umpire sent them away because the balls had visible markings and were sticky. So baseballs that Trevor Bauer threw on Wednesday are going to be inspected. Ed, how does it feel to join the ranks of the cheaters? I'll tell you how it feels, and this is directly from the man's Twitter page. LOL, always fun reading desperate and misleading clickbait headlines from national gossip bloggers. To translate fake journalist speak for all, it's unclear whether I can't be bothered to look into this because it doesn't fit my narrative. Wonder where the article's about balls from other pitcher who's been taken out of play in literally every game this season, also to Major League Baseball, who already has sources talking to gossip bloggers about a supposedly confidential process a week into the season. Thumbs up, y'all. Keep killing it. Good for Trevor. Standing up for all pitchers. It's a bunch man. of nonsense. Man, you know, you know Ed has his fan glasses on when ah. he starts defending the guy that called journalists <laughs> fake news. Man, no, I, you, I think, well, you he didn't really call real journalists that. He called Ken Rosenthal a blogger. It's like yeah. the one of the top five baseball reporters that exists, yeah. and he called him a blogger. I'm I'm still waiting for Trevor Bauer to boycott the Denver All Star Game because they shouldn't have moved it. <laughs> I listen. Trevor's Trevor balls, and, and why? Maybe maybe it was the Oakland A's guy scuffing it up. We don't know. Maybe maybe they forgot to change it out in between innings. Ed, you read that entire two-tweet rant from Trevor Bauer. You know what yes. he didn't do? He didn't deny it. That's because, as his as his uh, uh, Twitter Twitter uh, thing says, he's a he's a, uh, a Cy Young Award winner. Uh, all he did was say everybody else is doing it too. By the way, 
All he did oh. was say everybody else is doing it too, Ed. So I think Trevor Bauer, he's pretty guilty. He's going to get suspended for the rest of the season. Dodger season over. <laughs> so it's sort of like whenever he accused everyone of like doctoring the balls to get a better spin rate. And then all of a sudden his spin rate got better. Wait, yeah. hold on. Yeah. The only thing I want to come of this is maybe Bauer hid some of these balls uh, that Kenley Jansen had to pitch with, and they throw his balls out. Because then, if we get that guy suspended for 50 games, it'll really no. be on to the World Series. No, what you yeah. need is you need Trevor Bauer to teach Kenley Jansen how to doctor the <laughs> right. balls. Exactly. Kenley just needs okay. a teacher. And okay. how mad would you be? How mad would you be if you found out Kenley Jansen was cheating? I'd be disgraceful. Look, it's like in in college athletics. If you're going to cheat, at least win. Guy's been a he's been a disaster. Look, Jared, if you're telling me it wins the World Series, and I have to to Tyler Bischoff, whose team's a complete cheating organization, admit that there might have been some cheating going along with Trevor Bauer. If in fact Kenley Jansen is never the closer again, I'd probably take that trade off and have to admit it to Tyler. As long as they won the World Series, I'd admit we cheated. As long as somehow Kenley Jansen was made to doctor the balls. Asterisk. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I I am so excited for Trevor Bauer to get punished for this because he's gonna lose his mind. He's already lost his mind. He hasn't even been punished for it. He's already lost his mind. It's phenomenal. Next question. Carl Joseph is visiting the Raiders. Carl Joseph was a first round draft pick of the Raiders back in 2016. He played four years for the Raiders. They did not pick up his fifth year option. So last year he played in Cleveland. And now apparently John Gruden might want him back. Well, I'll go, uh, look, I'm going to trust Austin, who knows more about it than any of us in terms of how he's going to be if they sign him. So they need a free safety. I think you and I both thought a rookie would be a hard spot to play in that defense. Um, There's only one in the first round anyone thinks any good, and he didn't even play that defense in college. So... um, I, you know, I, I'll trust Austin on that. He, he couldn't stay on the field when he was with the Raiders the last time. But maybe Austin's right, and they didn't protect him enough. So, look, they need to fill the spot. Um, and if they can get him at a low price, which at this point, obviously, they would, um, might as well take a shot, right? I mean, they, they've got to start getting competition at that, at that position. I'm just going to say it's probably not a good sign for your defense if you have a position of need and you're going to sign a guy that – one or two off seasons ago, you decided wasn't good enough to keep around. Well, could it be that? Could it be that? I'm just guessing here. Could it be that Bradley said bring him back because he'll be better at this spot in my and I won't I won't use him as you did. I don't know. Possibly. I mean, Maybe. yeah, I guess Gus Bradley could be saying Carl Joseph would be a perfect fit, but yeah, John Gruden literally decided two off seasons ago. Yeah, he's not good enough to pick up his fifth year option on his rookie deal. Let's let him walk, and he goes and plays for Cleveland. If that's the guy you're counting on to fix your secondary, I don't think your secondary is getting fixed. Look, at the end of the day, we have found the third scapegoat. It is Carl Joseph. <laughs> we didn't win. We didn't win, Mark. But we got to get rid of that Carl Joseph guy again. <laughs> Next question. Kawhi Leonard is expected to stay with the Clippers. Uh, John Hollinger wrote that Leonard is still widely well expected to re-sign with the Clippers. As it stands, that's the word from Clippers sources and rival executives. So other teams think they're not going to have a shot at signing Kawhi Leonard, who can opt out after this year. That's being said on April 9th in the middle of the regular season. 
If the Clippers lose in the first or second round of the Western Conference playoffs, do you think that changes how he views staying with that organization? You know what? I don't know. There always was the sense when he was in San Antonio and uh, Toronto, as you know, that it would be the Lakers. Wanted to come home. Uh, I've seen images of, of his Rancho Santa Fe mansion. I don't know why you'd ever leave California. I don't even know why you'd go to practice living in that place. So um, his 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 daughter's there. I, I mean, if anything, and I don't think he'd ever do this because of the heat he'd take for it, he'd walk across the hall to the other team. I just can't see him after getting back to where he wanted to be in California saying, well, now I'm going to go you know, to the Midwest or now I'm going to go back east. Like I don't see that no matter what happens in the playoffs. He just appears to be a guy who grew up in California, went to school in California, that that's where he wants to be. So I, I think he stays no matter what because more so I just don't think he'd want to move again. Yeah, that, that's the interesting dynamic on Kawhi is how much people say, hey, he loves, loves Southern yeah. California and he just wants to be there. So. Yeah. There's a level of it doesn't really matter how successful the Clippers are in the playoffs, Kawhi's going to stay. Whereas, normally, one of the top five players in the league goes somewhere and the team keeps failing in the first or second round of the playoffs. They're looking to get the hell out and go somewhere else to try to win. But Kawhi might be the one that sticks around. And that well, would be it would be interesting if they do lose early and he sticks around. And also, unlike some of these guys, he's not chasing a ring because he's already been a two-time Finals MVP. I'm sure he wants to win more rings. But you know as well as anyone, there's been superstars yeah. who've never won it, and they chase it. He doesn't need to chase anything. Man, you know, that's a great question. Raleigh Worcester will transfer from Utah State. He was one of the best freshmen in the Mountain West this past season. But if you remember, Raleigh Worcester was the guy who was one of five from three-point range when UNLV actually upset Utah State. And we couldn't figure out why the hell Raleigh Worcester kept shooting because he can't shoot threes. That night, I kept, and I didn't have any idea who this guy was, but I remember it might have been Adam Hill to my right where I kept saying, who's this Worcester kid continuing to jack up shots? Because it was weird. Like, he'd come down and jack up, and it wasn't even close. So then at the end of the year, I think in the Mountain West Tournament, I looked like his stats in the year he's had, and I'm like, okay, maybe it was an off night that when I saw him because this is not the player I saw. He actually well, played pretty well in the tournament. He's, I mean, he's he's pretty good at everything except the shooting part. Like he was a he was a good freshman point guard. Like his passing was good. He was a good rebounder. He actually could drive to the rim some too. He just he just couldn't shoot. Legitimately was a bad three point shooter. And UNLV's game plan was all right. Leave the bad three point shooter open. He'll keep shooting it, and we'll win the game. And it worked. So Raleigh well, Worcester transferring after Craig Smith leaves Utah State. That's pretty weird because of the you know evaluation you just gave. Is he transferred to UNLV? He might. Yeah, he's a he's a he's prime prospect to come to UNLV. Be good at everything but the shooting. No <laughs> no need for shooting at UNLV. I'm out. Lummy Smith says he didn't adjust his defense for college offenses. So Lummy Smith had been the head coach at Illinois uh, until this past offseason. But here was his quote yesterday. The college game, it's a lot more quarterback run dominated offenses. I think our system, and everybody has a system, you tweak it from year to year, but I don't think we'll have to adjust ours that much. In college, we weren't able to run our entire system. Most of the time offenses go three receivers, we kept our base defense on the field. We didn't play our nickel packages much. So I think our defense is more suited for the NFL game and we'll make the tweaks and things like that, but we feel pretty good about what we've seen. Lovey yeah. Smith was the head coach at college and just didn't change his defense for like six years? I mean, Lovey knows more football than us, but I'm just going to say something. 
In five years, he was 17 and 39 in Illinois. Maybe he should have adjusted more. Like, <laughs> what the guy kind of to a one, is that? The guy went to one bowl game, the Red Box Bowl, whatever that is, and uh, <laughs> finished 6th, 7th, 7th, 4th, and 7th in the Big Ten. He was 10 and 33 in conference. So I don't know much about Lovey Smith other than the fact Lovey should have probably adjusted more this you know maybe in the, maybe with the chicago bears when he was going to the playoffs and losing um uh all the all, in the playoffs all the time um he lost you know he loses to the colts and uh you know we know that game the super bowl lost to the packers the panthers uh maybe he should adjusted more in college how do you not how are you there and realize well i'm running an nfl defense but college offenses are going to exploit this how do you not change? I don't understand. Like I didn't lose losing, don't losing games. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's not like it was working. It's not like they were doing well. I'm I'm blown away that a coach would say that out loud. Yeah, we didn't change for the college offenses. He's now the new Texans defensive coordinator, and somehow this wouldn't even make the top ten worst quotes of the year for the Houston Texans and their offseason. Coming up next, we'll jump into some UNLV basketball because they've got a new transfer and Bryce Hamilton seems almost surely to be leaving. Cross court to McCaw. McCaw drives. McCaw underneath. Oh, McCaw got... lays it up. No good. Tips it up. No good. He got... got pushed from behind. No call. Uh, the Jen... refs are absolutely giving this game to New Mexico. Brown front court to Williams. Williams oh. bangs into Ajet. McCaw knocks Ooh, the ball away man. out of bounds to New Mexico. I mean, the Rebels get banged and bumped every time hey. down low and nothing. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM. If it wasn't for those damn refs always calling fouls against UNLV, they would have been in the NCAA tournament with Patrick McCall here. The refs are the ones that screwed him out of that. Well, that and if they could guard you, but there's yeah, always things relevant. Irrelevant. All right, we got two stories in UNLV basketball. The first one, an incoming player, Donovan Williams, is transferring in to UNLV from Texas. So that is transfer number four that is coming to UNLV. All four have come from the Big 12. Uh, there are now two coming from Texas, Donovan Williams and Royce Ham, And you also have Jordan McCabe coming in from West Virginia. So... And you also have Victor Iwakor uh, coming in from Oklahoma. I forgot about him. So, uh, Williams, like the other players, though, played 10.7 minutes over the last two years in Texas, averaged 3.3 points per game coming off the bench, uh, and like the others, was a four-star top 100 recruit uh, in 2018. So, all four of the players that Kruger's brought in are basically the same type of player. They had a good recruiting ranking coming out of high school, went to a Big 12 school, Mostly sat on the bench, didn't get a lot of playing time, and now at UNLV, presumably, they'll get a lot more playing time and a chance to prove they were underused at a Big 12 school. Yeah, I mean, that has to be his recruiting pitch, and at this point, it probably should be playing time. That's really mostly what kids care about. Um, we'll see. A lot of new pieces. I mean, it usually goes by the way of, at this point, there's absolutely no way to tell how good they're going to be. Like, there's there's certain coaches like Eric Musselman who have proven in the transfer portal they're almost like geniuses at it. They get the right guys. They fit. They win. Uh, not a lot of guys like that. Usually when you add as many guys as Kevin Kruger's going to, you have no idea. Like right now, any, I think if I, anyone asked us, we'd go to, okay, their stats say they're not good shooters, but who knows? Maybe he has a plan and it's going to be fine. He's doing what he needs to do. He's got a lot of guys out of his roster. He's got to fill his roster. So, you know, this is who it seems like he's building around kids, like you said, who were 
recruited highly, but didn't find a place in a big time conference. So I think the hope is for that staff is that they come down and we've seen other examples like this in the Mountain West. You come down and you're really good. So maybe that happens and maybe doesn't. Uh, the other news is that Bryce Hamilton is going to transfer. At least that is the way that Jeff Goodman phrased it on Twitter yesterday. Hamilton is in the transfer portal. He is still going. He's still declared for the NBA draft. He hasn't pulled his name out of the NBA draft. So he is in the NBA draft process. He is also in the transfer portal. Jeff Borzello reported this morning that the following teams have reached out to Hamilton. Kansas, USC, Oregon, Texas, New Mexico, Yukon, Illinois, Texas Tech, and Florida State. Uh, so, sounds like Bryce Hamilton's gone, and there is about a 1% chance he actually comes back to UNLV. Yeah, his AAU guys also texted or tweeted last night a picture of him uh, playing for them, and he's in the portal, and he's a high-ranked kid, and there'll be a lot of interest in him. Look, I don't think he's going to the NBA. I do think he's going to Power 5. Of the list you just said, we talked about Kawhi Leonard wanting to go home. Hamilton's an LA kid. I think you and I, the first two, the first two schools we thought it was UCLA and SC. I think SC would have a better uh, option for playing for him and making a difference. UCLA, if they bring everyone back, it's a Final Four team. That'd be. I don't. I'm not saying he couldn't fit in there, but he'd be more of a role player there. Uh, so I thought SC right away. That makes the most sense. That's kind of where his family's from. All all the family members who played in the league and everything. So yeah, I don't think he's coming back to UNLV. I don't think he's going to the league. And when you say that list of teams. He's not coming back to UNLV. I mean, if those teams yeah. really reached no. out to him, he's going no. to one of those teams. Yes. yes. I, if he comes back to UNLV, I think we need to genuinely ask him, Bryce, why? Why? Yes. Oh, those why? teams? Yes. <laughs> what are you doing? Why did you come back? Um, yeah. I. So I, I think USC is the one that makes a lot of sense. I found it funny that Oregon is on that list simply because in the last two off-seasons, Oregon has taken Shakur Houston and Amori Hardy from UNLV. So if he goes to Oregon, it would just be funny because they come and pluck UNLV's like best player every off-season to come transfer up there. So I would enjoy that one. On the UNLV side, if we assume Bryce Hamilton's gone, and if we look at the four transfers coming in, none of which seem to have any proven high-level offensive skill sets, how is UNLV scoring points next year? That's and again, you've put out all the stats on uh, and written about them. I don't know. I, I you know I mean, that's what is the biggest mystery of all this is when you look at who he's signed already or recruited into the program. That's the one glaring weakness, at least for what they've done so far. Again, a lot of them haven't been given a lot of opportunity. So you're in there for eight or ten minutes. You take a few threes. You don't make them. And all of a sudden, the stats, you know, maybe show something that, you know, you're better than that. I don't know. But right now, if there's a concern and you're on the outside looking in, it would be just that. Who's scoring? Who's scoring for them next year? Is Nick Blake going to take a huge step up? You know, we haven't talked a lot about Moses Wood. He's still around. He's probably, at this point, like you said the other day, their best three-point shooter. Marvin Coleman's coming back. So I'm not saying it can't happen or they won't score, but there's no question if this is kind of the, the you know, road he's traveling down recruiting, when they open practice and they start playing some games, that's the first thing people are going to be looking at. Like, who who's making shots here? And, you know, when they play good offensive teams – are they really going to be that much better defensively that can keep them in games? Now, they're going to be better defensively because, like we said, they can't not be. But if these are your shooters, I guess the original thought would be you better be a lot better defensively, right? I mean, yeah. It, it, yeah. you better be, like, a lot better. 
I mean, you're you're looking at the way the roster is currently constructed. The only way they're winning games is if it's forty three to thirty nine. Like that's like they they do not have any proven offense on this team. If if Hamilton does in fact leave, if David Jenkins doesn't come back, I don't think they'll have a single player on the team that will have averaged ten points in a season. I think it'll be Mbake Zhang's nine points per game will be the highest possible returning, and he might leave too, which would leave you with like. Marvin Coleman averaging six or something last year, or Nick Blake averaged around six to uh, last year as well. They will not have, like their current roster, they only have one guy that you would say is an above average shooter, and that's Moses Wood. Uh, and they, it seems as though they might have recruited over him as a power forward because they've got two power forwards coming in as transfers. Uh, that's the only guy, though, that's an above average shooter. And as far as guys that can get to the rim off the dribble, Nick Blake's probably the best on the roster. I mean, right. Jordan McCabe's coming as a point guard. He he has never done that. He has never been a guy that gets to the rim. He's a he's he's a good passer and he shoots threes, but not very well. And that's what he does. So the current roster, like Nick Blake, is the best playmaker. Now maybe Donovan Williams. He's a six six wing. Maybe Williams is able to be a great playmaker because he's going down a level to the Mountain West. That's possible, but we we haven't seen it. Like the best we've seen is Nick Blake did it a little bit last season. So you start trying to figure out how good they're going to be on offense. And right now, I think they'd be a disaster on that end of the floor. I think that's like, to me, the biggest thing UNLV needs to add is some sort of offensive playmaker and then shooting. Like those are the two things they've got to find because as it stands right now, they're going to be one of the easiest teams in the country to guard because you can just put all five guys in the paint and say, all right, Go ahead and shoot, uh, or you're not getting a layup. Yeah, I mean, the shooters are out there. Sometimes uh, the playmakers, uh, which I think Hamilton was, I mean, a little harder to find because those guys, uh, if you're really, really good, you're, well, you're probably at the list Bryce Hamilton's now looking at. Um, but I can't believe he can't go find a shooter. I mean, what is it? Over, there's got to be over 1,000 guys still in the portal. Um, you you got to be able to find a guy who can make shots at some level, even if it's more like a Caleb Grill or a kid like that that, you know, you have to honor defensively and you have to go out and, you know, you have to go out and extend on him because he could make a shot. Um, I'm not so sure on the playmaker of how many of them are out there that would come to UNLV at that level. But look, I mean, that's the thing Bryce Hamilton did. You know, you've talked about it. I mean, Bryce Hamilton could go get a shot. Like he could go get his own shot if he had to, if the clock was going down. I don't know if any of these guys can. And if it is Nick Blake, again, like I said, you better be better defensively. Nick Blake showed some fine moments as a freshman. But again, like him, he better get a lot better. Like, they all have to yep. take steps forward to be any kind of good offensive team at this point. Yeah, so they, they're still going to have – I mean, we don't know if Mbake Zhang's coming back. We don't know if Arthur Kaluma and Kashan Gilbert, the two recruits, are actually going to end up coming in. But they still are going to have a couple more spots to add some more transfers. So there's still time. There's still space for them to, you know, sort of fix the way the roster is built right now. So I'm just curious to see if they do that because – all four transfers they're bringing in are basically the same type of guy. Possibly really good defensively, should bring good size, but offensively, we don't know. We don't know what they're going to do. It hasn't been, they haven't shown anything at the college level. All right, coming up next, we will talk to the head coach of UNLV baseball, Stan Stolte. It's up by four in the top of the ninth inning. Troy Balco one pitch away if he can finally get one by Bryce Kirk. See what he can do here as he comes set, kicks, and fires. Kirk pops one straight up. This should do it. Left side of the infield as Rosenberg and Alarcon communicate. It'll be Diego to make the underhand grab at chess level. And with that, the Rebels complete another comeback. Eight to four winners here on Thursday over Pacific. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, 
This is the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. Joining us now, Stan Stolte, the head coach of UNLV Baseball. Stan, how are you this morning? Very good, Tyler. How are you and Ed doing today? Hey, Stan, how are you? We Very are good, Ed. Good. Thank you. We are good this morning. UNLV, they beat Pacific last night. They play, or yesterday, they play again today and tomorrow against Pacific. But actually, I want to start, Stan. Um, you guys are going to play Arizona State, and you're going to play them at Las Vegas Ballpark. Uh, how how excited are you guys for that series to actually, or for that game to actually happen at Las Vegas Ballpark and have some fans there? Oh, it's going to be a neat deal. And, uh, yeah, it'll be something strange for our kids. Although when we played at A-State, they had probably 1,500 there. But, but this will be a different deal. We we think and uh you know we were going to do it last year and then covid hit and uh but i think it's going to be a great great deal for everyone involved and get some fans out there and hopefully the weather cooperates and and no it'll be a lot a lot of fun we've had some really great games with arizona state over the past few years so should be a good competitive game stan you um you beat them but i wanted to ask you because you did mention covid uh in the games where you haven't had anyone i mean we've asked we've asked basketball coaches this football even volleyball coaches this. So translate baseball with no fans as long as you've coached and how COVID changed things in your world. Well, it's just your dugout really has to create a lot more energy than other years. Uh, not that, that baseball, there's some places there's no energy. Anyhow, there's not a lot of fans. It's not quite the same as comparing it to college football. But in our situation, we draw decent where, you know, we do have a home field crowd cheering for us but but it just it puts more on our own kids they got to take it into their own hands to create the energy and and they've done a great job of that and uh and uh in fact they really it's caused them to get into the game more than they have in previous years so it's it's uh we've done well in that area kids have really come with a lot of energy every day Stan, you guys were one of the sports that got canceled last year during the season. I'm curious, like, so what was it like as a coach and having players where, okay, the season's canceled and now you're not even sure when the next season's going to begin? Like, what was that, you know, eight, nine months like for a college baseball team? Oh, yeah, it was tough. We were just hoping, well, our administration did such a great job getting us back out here in the fall, and we almost had almost a normal fall. Uh, You know, not quite everything, but... But compared to a lot of places, we had a good fall, and they, or the testing was good. But, you know, back when it first happened, there was, it was a bigger picture at the time than just playing college baseball. It was, you know, hopefully this thing isn't, you know, just crazy, deadly deal. But uh, so at the time, we were just hoping mainly that, you know, it would just pass by. And, and then as the summer progressed and, and uh, things in the fall kind of picked up and, and we got back to normal. Uh, I think you guys, correct me if I'm wrong, are top 10 in batting average in the country. Uh, and at your level, you know as well as anyone, if you don't hit, it's not going to happen for you. The kids are at that level with those bats. Um, is this what you had to do to take the next step? You're second, you're second a couple games behind San Diego State. You're competing for a conference title. What did you do in the last few years that you thought, okay, to take that next step and win this thing, uh, we have to do so-and-so? Well, it, mainly it, it still starts with pitching. And, and we were going well with the pitching Right, you know, I thought we could do it, and we still do. But we we lost, you know, Chase Maddox and Connor Woods, our two best arms, both may be out for the year. But uh, but we need other guys to step up. But we were on pace. We thought, you know, we've closed the gap over three years ago. We were picked seventh and finished seventh, and now we're picked third. And you know, I I think we've closed the gap on the two main Fresno State and San Diego State, and you know, like to say we're up to par with them. And and the other teams are good too, but. Uh, 
just from a talent level that, you know, you can do all the coaching and all the culture and all that. You got to have it. I get it. But still, best players usually win, and uh, especially the best pitchers. So, so we just got to keep getting good arms in here and, and just play good baseball. And, and uh, I think we'll be okay. We're on, we're on pace. I like where we're at. COVID kind of, it didn't help us as much as other teams. San Diego State has five guys now that seem to be playing that they got back because of the COVID deal. So, so every weekend, sometimes you feel like you're playing BYU every weekend, you know, 24-year-old men. So, so but, it, you know, it is what it is. And, and we're young, we're experienced, but we're young age-wise compared to a lot of teams. So, uh, you know, unless we just get killed by the draft, I think we're, uh, we're going to be okay next, you know, we got this thing in where we can compete the next couple of years as long as our pitching stays in healthy. Uh, Stan, you brought up Chase Maddox there. Can you tell us yes or no? He's a better pitcher now that his dad Greg is gone from and not the volunteer pitching coach anymore. <laughs> no, no, he's pretty much his own coach. And, and Greg knew how to handle him. Corey Vanderhoek, our new pitching coach, has done a great job with him. And, but Chase is Chase. He's his own guy, uh, and what he's done, he deserves all the credit. It, it's just too. It's sad that that he didn't get the finish this year because it was a great story waiting to happen he was he throws 82 miles an hour and just you know just sending teams home shaking their heads and it's just most unbelievable thing i've seen and it's just too bad he didn't get to finish it because uh it, it, it could have been a special story but uh what a great kid he's still trying to trying to get back but it you know he did hurt his elbow so we'll see how that plays out so are you a better two miles Throwing 82 miles an hour and having a great season, is he exactly what we would expect a Greg Maddox son to be like as a pitcher then? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> does everything, just feels his position, just knows smart as all can be. He's going to be a great pitching coach someday. And, uh, yeah, he's just a special kid. Special kid. Are you, are you a better golfer for having hung around Greg Maddox? Uh, a little bit, yeah. He's uh, he's not too bad. It, I've gone a couple times with him. I'm not at his caliber, though. So, so, um, uh, I wanted to ask you, because we asked Don Sullivan about this. Obviously, you have many uh, much bigger numbers. But, you know, people just assume, you know, the, as, and it's true, the base is California and Texas to go get players. But you have a lot of Vegas kids. Uh, you know, my fondness for Krizik because of the whole Mountain West uh, Little League World Series thing. Jack Wold's kind of, you know, um, the uh, Chris... Chris Taylor, uh, roll out of bed and go three for four. But how has it been for you? Because you were adding a lot of low kids, Edgerin and these kids who the level here just must be a lot, lot better than when you first started. Absolutely. it's it's And, and the, the kids are more interested in coming here. Uh, you know, we've got great facilities, and, and uh, we feel like we've got a very good culture going here and, and do things the right way. And, and we've you know, proven we've had a lot of kids come here undrafted and leave here with with a nice paycheck and a chance to play professional baseball. So they, it's, it's proven they develop here. So we just, uh, just keep, keep grinding away. And, uh, you know, some kids want to leave town. We get that, but that works to our advantage too. We get some kids out of Southern California that want to leave Southern California. So, so it, it works both ways, but, uh, we've been, we've got our next two recruiting classes. I can't speak about, but we're really happy with the local kids that are coming here. When you guys bring in a kid who didn't get drafted in Major League Baseball, but by the time they're leaving UNLV, they do get drafted, or they are playing somewhere for money, is that, as a college baseball coach, one of the biggest senses of pride? Yeah, from a, you know, it's a, we still, this program's all about the team, but at the same time, we understand, we try to recruit, we hope every kid we 
recruit wants to play Major League Baseball. We would think that's their goal, and it is. So, so you know, it works both ways. We want to bring a team here and experience. We want to not only go to a regional, we want to win a regional, and, and then hopefully he gets a chance to play professional baseball. And the main thing, develop him, you know, down the road, that be a better father, be a great husband, all that stuff. Just just be a good person in the community. Can I, I'm going to ask a question because I know Tyler really wants to ask it, but I'm going to go first before him. The facilities with the Marnell facility there, <laughs> how much of a difference, and please let us know, Stan, does that facility make when you walk a kid on campus? Oh, it helps. Uh, oh. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an arms, you know, a lot of schools are picking up the pace and have done that, but not to diminish it, it's, it is a great, great building, and Anthony and Lindy Marnell, that their donation to us is incredible, and it, it does. The bad thing is we haven't been able to get kids on campus now for over a year. We still can't. So, but you know, we video we have a nice uh, video Zoom call with them, and, and they get the idea and, and so forth. But no, it's definitely helped. There you well, go. UNLV facilities, is, is, Tyler. It's facilities, <laughs> UNLV. So they're going to play Arizona State Tuesday, April 13th. Uh, tickets actually go on sale at 10 o'clock this morning, so just over an hour away if you want to buy tickets. It's limited capacity, 3,500. Uh, so if you want those, be ready at 10 a.m. He's Stan Stolte, head coach, UNLV Baseball. Stan, we appreciate your time this morning. Thanks, Thanks Stan. Good luck today. Have a great day. You too. Good luck today. 11.05 also today against Pacific, game two of the three-game series. You know you're the worst, right, Ed? Oh, it's beautiful. Well, you you got it. You got to pump up that Marnell facility. That's why kids go there. Come on, they walk into that place. It is. It's very nice. I just had to say the facility question for you. Let's just get every UNLV coach I would never think of, and and just ask, how are your facilities? They're doing okay. Can they get kids? Can you recruit off your facilities? Brutal. I just give me the one coach who says our facilities suck, and I'm recruiting a hell of a class without them. That's what I want. I mean, that'll be great. They're fine, but I mean, it's really all about me. It is. Listen, <laughs> listen. All of the coaches should love me because I'm saying your facilities don't matter. It's you, like Marcus Arroyo. It's you. You're the one recruiting them. It's not the damn building. That's not why they're coming. Oh. It's because you're a good recruiter. So the coaches should love my opinion. Maybe, maybe if you said that sooner, Arroyo wouldn't have blocked you on Twitter. Maybe, but eh, no, he would have. He would have anyways. As soon as. Man, he he had already had me blocked, but as soon as Max Gillum on a show eating sushi off a model, I said, no, you were blocked getting, right away. I'm there. getting the auto block if I hadn't. You been had blocked no chance. Then. Yeah, you had no, no doubt about that. So you know, be baseball, pretty good season. Although, yeah. as he's as he said, it kind of sucks when you lose two of your best pitchers in the middle of the season when you think you got a chance to contend. If if we ever get Arroyo on, will it only have to be Jared and I speak asking him questions? I definitely don't think he wants me on that either. <laughs> If if he is aware of who I am, he does not know who he does not want me on there. No, if, if Arroyo comes back on, I'm absolutely asking him all the questions we can ask him. Well, can't you'd wait. have to go like uh, to Sean Reed of the Athletic, which was when Derek Carr blocked him. Like it, it's funny because Derek Carr goes on the Zoom and, the, and Deshaun says, "Why'd you block me?" It was which was great because Derek, you know, kind of stumbled around. Well, you know, you see, you hear things, but he had no real good answer for it. So it'd be, that'd be great. Uh, let's join by Coach Arroyo. Why'd you block Tyler? <laughs> you know, I mean, listen, he blocked me in the middle of the season. I did talk to him in, in press conferences on Zoom after that. I never did actually ask him, hey, why'd you block me? I just asked him whatever normal football question. So I maybe I should have taken the Deshaun Reedway and said, hey, why'd you block me? <laughs> I mean, Maybe that would have been better. One of the funniest things about Tyler, and I've I've been in the room with him when he during press conferences, is during press conferences, 
he's not Tyler. He's like professional, like reporter man, and it is so what are you weird. Saying about what are you saying, Jared? I, I I expected him to be like snarky during his questions, but they're like, oh, he's asking legitimate questions. <laughs> listen, listen. If you've been, like, it doesn't have the Golden Knights and Raiders are fine. But if you've been on a UNLV basketball or football Zoom press conference, there are only like three people that ask questions. <laughs> there's only like three people that cover these teams. Well, there's so sometimes like, only three people on the call, though. Right. So, like, <laughs> it, the Raiders and Golden Knights, like, the questions are going to get asked whether I'm there or not. The go- UNLV stuff, nobody's going to like nobody's gonna ask the question to TJ Otzelberger about, hey, are you going to take the Iowa State job? I gotta do. I gotta do that. I have. A, I have a role to fill in the Las Vegas media, Jared. I'm very. I, I important. just. All I'm waiting I'm for. Very important. I, I was. Your role is the UNLV zooms. <laughs> I was just waiting for like, uh, Coach Otzelberger. You guys were shooting a lot of long twos. Was that a game plan? You get. You were planning on shooting a super inefficient shot, but instead you asked like actual journalism questions. I did ask him about that quite a few times. But not the not as not, yeah not as snarky as you're saying. No, I did not jump on there and say TJ. What the hell is this shot chart? I, I should do that. Though. That'd be much better. I, I could confirm all this, Jared, if I'm ever on the UNLV Zoom calls, and I really am. <laughs> just literally, all all I want is to watch the video to pull sound, and just Ed pops up, looks around, and go and then, like disappears. Where's John Gruden? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Coming up next, uh, Jared's still going to be our sharp for at least one more day. It's time to find the sharp. Brought to you by PropSwap, where smart sports bettors buy and sell sports bets. Go to PropSwap.com today and find the very best odds. Jared did not win yesterday as our fake sharp. Uh, he picked the over in the Bucks uh, game. They did not go over. Giannis didn't play. Yeah, didn't, uh, but, uh, didn't know that Giannis was hurt. But we're going to give Jared a lifeline. And, Hold on uh, a second, Jared. You didn't even know there was a game you were picking. Never yes, mind okay. So, yes, I, that, that is true. But at the same time, when I said the Bucks, I was running on the assumption that Giannis was playing. <laughs> So here's here's what we're going to do. We're going to give Jared a lifeline, but Jared, this is going to be the most difficult lifeline we've ever given out because I'm going to give you five European soccer games, one from each of the big five leagues, and you have to pick the winner, or you can pick a draw, right? If they finish tied, you would lose if you pick a winner. So you can predict the game ends in a draw as well. You have to get all five of these right oh, to be our sharp Lord. on Monday. All right. All right. So the first game, we're going to La Liga in Spain, Barcelona and Real Madrid. Give me Bartha. All right. Barcelona is your first pick. Our second game in the Bundesliga, Frankfurt against Wolfsburg. Frankfurt. All right. In uh, League One in France, Montpellier or Marseille? Marseille. All right. They're the ones that fans stormed their practice facility because they were playing terribly. They're playing better now, though. Well, I mean, they better. Uh, in the Premier League, West Ham against Leicester. Uh, West Ham. All right. And the last one in Serie A in Italy, Fiorentina against Atalanta. Atlanta. 
Atalanta. You got to get that extra A in there. Atalanta is your pick. All right. So you did that. You don't want any draws. You can change what you want to change any of those to a draw. Yeah, change Leicester City or Leicester to. All right. So West Ham Leicester you have as a draw. Two two. Any any other one? You don't have to give us scores. Good God. But if I get it, <laughs> but if I get it, I'm gonna claim a victory. Okay. All right. Much so like Barcelona. You have Barcelona beating Real Madrid, Frankfurt beating Wolfsburg, Marseille beating Montpellier, a draw in West Ham and Leicester, and Atalanta beating Fiorentina. Good luck! They're all going to be draws except for the one that I said. Yes, yes. West Ham wins 7-1 to one and the rest all finish. 2-2. Two, two. <laughs> yes, it'll be great. All right. want to talk a little bit more about baseball because the New York Mets won a game yesterday. And the winning run was scored on a hit-by-pitch Despite that hit by pitch being a ball that was in the strike zone, Michael Conforto was the hitter. He uh, stuck his elbow out over the plate, got hit in that elbow, and the umpire awarded him first base, which meant with the bases loaded, the run scored, and it was a walk-off hit by pitch. But the best part of this video is that the home plate umpire starts to ring up Michael Conforto for strike three. He starts to call it a strike because he saw it was in the strike zone and then decided, oh, no, it hit him in the elbow. He needs to be given first base. Well, let's just give him props for knowing it was in the strike zone. So that, I mean, with Major League umpires, he gets a win there. He said to a pool reporter he should have called him out. So he admitted afterwards he he blew it because they sent a pool reporter down. He said, yeah, I should have called him out. But, you know, he made the mistake of saying, you know, did you get when they went to the video, uh, when Mattingly got them to go to the video, there was kind of a disagreement on what they can review in terms of hit batter. Um, I didn't think that was true, because obviously I would think you can look to see if it actually made contact. But did you get that? Did you get the point of that when they were talking about that when you before you went to the video? And and I guess what are they looking at? Because you have to make a reasonable effort to get out of the way, which obviously he not only didn't do that, he actually leaned into it. <laughs> so when they went to the video, I don't know. I Like, I wasn't surprised on the foul ball on the A's Dodgers. You know, I thought it was stupid overturn. Like, I was almost waiting for them when they saw it to say, oh, he completely leaned into it. No, it's, he can't do that. And yet so they kept it. It is, it is reviewable to see if the ball did or did not hit the bat. Yeah. So you can go yeah, and him. review and see if the ball hit him. And it absolutely hit Michael Conforto. He got hit yes, on the elbow. Hit him. <laughs> but it is not, you cannot review to see if the batter leaned in or not. And that's the problem yesterday with why that's the stupid. review was pointless. Because he did in fact get hit, but it's not reviewable to see if the batter leaned in or leaned away or whatever you want to say. That, for some reason, is non-reviewable in baseball. I don't understand why there are non-reviewable things in any sport. Well, here's the thing. That's completely stupid for this reason. If, in fact, you if there's a rule that you can't do that, you have to make a reasonable uh, you know, effort to get out of the way, how can't you review it if you didn't do that? Right. I Yeah. It's stupid. Uh, you should be like, I don't understand why there are non-reviewable things in sports. If we can look on a replay and see Michael Conforto leaned in to get hit by the pitch, why the hell can't the ump say, oh yeah, we see that, he's out, we're going to the 10th inning. 